Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Our gospel text for today comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 9, and it says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could brighten them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. May God bless our reading of these holy scriptures, and let's all say together, amen. Let us pray. God, as we move into this time of teaching, may you bring your word and your truth to life. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The first time I preached on this Second Kings passage, I was uh, an interim pastor at a little bitty church in Texas, and I had them keep count of how many times I swapped and mixed up the words Elijah and Elisha, because I knew I was going to do it as I had practiced, and so I just made a game of it. The names are so similar um, for one to be the predecessor of the other. Now, if you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? If you could gain clarity on one issue in your life, what would you ask about? Now, I have this idea, and I'm going to preface it by saying it's not that I found it anywhere in Scripture, but I have this idea that when we get to heaven, we'll get to go into heaven's home theater and ask God questions and maybe watch some documentaries about how things played out in history or how exactly these stories that we read about what they looked like and get, get some of or all of our questions answered because I've got a lot of questions about how things work out. There's a lot of things I'd like to ask God for clarity on, a lot of ways in which I'd like to see and understand God better. As I read this text about the transfiguration, I thought about these videos that go around on the internet every so often. You've probably seen one or two. You may even have had this experience in your own life. But in the, in the video, there'll be a baby, and it's kind of fussing, baby's kind of fussing, and they're wrestling with this baby trying to get some glasses on. It's not easy to put glasses on on an infant. And then the, the tagline will always be something like, this baby was born with vision difficulties and has never seen their mother and father's faces clearly. And then they get those glasses on, and you can see in that picture there on the screen, the baby's face just lights up to see their parents clearly for the first time. And I do wonder if ever there's videos that don't quite make it onto the Internet where the baby sees their parents and goes, what in the world? I didn't know they had, like, actual defined features. That Maybe that's terrifying for a baby. But anyway, when I think about how the disciples see Jesus clearly, see Jesus in a new way as he is transfigured before them, I think of these babies and having their parents transfigured before their eyes. So today's Transfiguration Sunday, and we remember when the disciples saw him transfigured on that mountain. Have you used that word transfigure lately? I haven't. I don't think we tend to use it during other times of the year or outside of the church. 
But we might use the word transformed, which means a change in being, a change in state of being, right? When somebody has a drastic weight loss or a natural disaster comes through and, and makes the town look completely different. Maybe in a um, home renovation show, you see a house transformed from the beginning to the end. But Jesus was transfigured. He was changed in the way that they saw him. So let's go back just a little bit and, and talk about who was with Jesus on the mountain. Because it's not random. It's not random who the disciples saw there. We had Moses and we had Elijah. In my Sunday school class, we've been working our way through the Bible. The book is called A Hop, Skip, and Jump Through the Bible because it would take years and years to really go in depth, of course. But we just finished studying First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. <clears throat> and those books tell us about the kingdom of Israel once they've entered the promised land, they've established, become established as a nation, and then they become divided into a northern and a southern kingdom. Elijah was the preeminent prophet for the northern kingdom for a long time. And he, he was a powerful guy. He spoke powerfully. He saw God do a lot. He spoke out against the brutality and the injustice of the reign of King Ahab, which of course put his life in danger. One of my favorite stories about Elijah is when he challenges the prophets of Baal. And he says, you build an altar on the mountain, I'll build, we'll build an altar on the mountain, and then we'll ask our God to send down fire and see who sends fire. So the prophets of Baal are dancing around. It even says they're cutting themselves because they believe that's what, what Baal would want from them. And he says, oh, maybe he's sleeping. He's kind of, a, kind of sarcastic with them. Maybe, maybe your God is sleeping. Dance louder. Shout louder. And, of course, the fire never comes down. And then Elijah prays to God, and the fire comes and ignites the altar, which he's even had water poured on. So we're talking about a powerful man and an important time in Israel's history who was a prophet. He spoke God's truth. And you see his name all throughout Scripture, even after his life. If you remember, um, people would ask if Jesus was... Elijah returned again to earth. That's how much they thought of Elijah when they saw Jesus in the signs and the teachings. So Elijah is about to be taken up in a whirlwind, it says. It just really leads with the, the kind of leads with the main part of the story, the most exciting part of the story. And he says to Elisha, stay here. I'm going to Bethel. Elisha, like Dane said, was his successor. They're very close. But Elisha disobeys and he follows him. He refuses to leave his side on this last day. They've been working closely together. Um, They're very close. And it also says there's a company of prophets following, about 50. And they follow at a, at a distance. Um, I don't know why they stay at a distance. I think the storyteller just wants us to know that this story is about Elijah and Elisha. And so these prophets keep trying to remind Elisha of something. They keep saying, now you know this is your last day with him. You know he's about to be gone. And Elisha says what's one of my favorite Bible verses to quote to my family. Yes, I know. Keep silent. Be quiet. I love that one. I'm going to have it printed out and put on my wall. Be quiet. So we get through this, and then the cycle repeats again, which is something to watch for when we're reading Scripture. When something is repeated again, that's intended for emphasis. And one of those reasons is because um, it would have been an oral tradition, right, to tell the stories. And so when things are repeated, it's like, maybe you missed it the first time. We're going to tell it again. Let's really focus on this moment. So the cycle repeats. Elisha refuses to turn away and let Elijah go on alone. The prophets, again, try to remind Elisha that it's his last day with Elijah, and he again tells them to be quiet. 
They come to the Jordan, and he whacks the river with his cloak, his mantle, which is like, a, like his big shawl or his cloak, and he crosses on dry land. What does parting the waters of the Jordan make us think of? Walking through on dry land, it makes us think of Moses, right? And that's intentional. Scripture um, is a beautiful, it's a, the story of our people, and it's also a really beautiful work of literature. It was really when I began, I was taught, there's a particular uh, theologian, Robert Alter, who talks about Scripture as literature, and that is really when I began to fall in love with the Old Testament. So Elisha asks Elijah for a double portion of his spirit, really of God's spirit on Elijah. And Elijah says, you notice he doesn't say, if you see me going to heaven, I will give it to you. He says, if you see me going to heaven, it will be given to you. It's not Elijah's power to give, is it? So Elijah ascends with the chariots of fire, just as we were promised in the beginning of the text, and his mantle falls down on Elisha, a visual representation of God's spirit and Elisha becoming the new preeminent prophet for Israel. And we also see this exemplified when Elisha parts the waters on the way home of the Jordan. So speaking of parting waters, the other person on the mountain at the transfiguration is Moses. And we th- when we think of Moses, we think of the time, well, there's lots of Moses stories, but one in particular that I think of when I think of the transfiguration and parallels with Jesus' story is he goes up Mount Carmel, he receives the Ten Commandments, he spends time with God, and when he comes down, his face is shining from time with God. He even wears a veil for a while, I guess because glowing Moses is disturbing people. He parts the Red Sea. He is a powerful part of the nation of Israel's history and story. So here we find ourselves, there's Elisha going up. Here we find ourselves on top of Mount Tabor with Jesus and Peter and James and John. And the the passage starts with six days later. Jesus has just been teaching about his death, about a crucifixion, well, about his death and his resurrection, and the disciples, as always, are saying, it can't be so, it will never be so. That's not, that's not how kings bring in new kingdoms, is by being murdered. And so six days after that, Jesus has been teaching about taking up our own crosses and following him. He invites Peter, James, and John. It says on a high mountain by themselves. Now, this is Mount Tabor in modern days in the image. You can hike to the top today. Some of you may have gone to Israel. You might have seen it or hiked it. I haven't had the chance yet, but it's about 600 feet high. So it's not a camping trip. It could have been an overnight trip, but it wouldn't have to be. And if you go and you hike it today, they say it'll take about two hours to climb. So I'd plan for about four if it was me. But Peter, James, and John, they reach the top of this mountain. Jesus begins to glow whiter. His clothes are whiter than anyone could ever bleach them, which means whiter than I could even imagine. Peter, James, and John see Elijah and Moses show up. These heroes of the faith, these people that they have studied their whole lives. These people that have died, that have gone on to heaven, are suddenly there in front of them talking with Jesus. We don't really know exactly what was said, But Peter's response is understandable. He doesn't know what to say, and as always, when Peter doesn't know what to say, he just starts talking anyway. He says, let's build a tent. Let's stay here. Let's build three tents. We'll stay here. This is the place to be. Let's reside here forever. But that's not how mountaintops work, are they? That's not how moments where we feel the closest to God we've ever felt, moments of revelation, they don't come every day. That's not how it works. 
but we do have this cloud, this cloud come over the mountain, and we hear a voice, just like at Jesus' baptism. The voice of God is speaking, and this time he's speaking to the disciples. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. What a powerful moment. What a powerful moment in our Christian story. And then Jesus says something. He often said, especially in Mark, tell no one. Can you imagine? Tell no one what you've just seen. His time has not come yet, is what he's saying. So I have some questions as I read this passage, as I think through what it meant in that time, what it means for the church. My first question is, who was changed? Jesus wasn't changed. They saw a truer version of Jesus, right? Jesus was still Jesus. Jesus was God the whole time before he was glowing. But they got a new vision of the power of Christ, that Christ is God on earth. He's not of this world. The disciples had to have been changed by this moment, but twice over the next few weeks in their, pa- in their journey with Christ, they're going to get into a big argument over who's the best one in the kingdom. Who is going to sit at Christ's right hand when he becomes king over Israel, which is, of course, in their minds, a certain way that a king should look. They're going to argue over who's going to be the best and the most powerful. Now, it seems obvious to me that if you have just seen a man transfigured, speaking with the most famous prophets from our history, that I would realize that there's, there is no second place to that, right? We are all just serving and worshiping that God, but their egos still manage to get in the way. So were they changed? Were they immediately changed? Their understanding of Christ had to have been. But they were still the same humans, the same bumbling humans that they were. And one very, very comforting thing I find, an encouraging thing I often find when I read the Gospels, is the disciples. The ones that Jesus chose to be in his inner circle. The founders of the earliest Christian churches. They're so stooge-like in their obliviousness. They often just, oh, they're so good at missing the point. And yet God used them. And if he can use them, then surely he can use me. Surely he can use you. Another very steadying thing I find in this passage and about being a Christian is the deep eternal roots of this spirituality that we've been grafted into. It goes back over 2,000 years to the time of Jesus and the disciples. It goes back even farther than that to Elijah and to Moses. The truth has been made through, has made it through pain and stress. The truth has made it through persecution and famine and sword, as Paul said. God's kingdom always makes a way. The presence and the power of God persist, as does Christ's invitation to be part of that kingdom. When I look at the characters in these stories, I ask myself and I ask you, are we persistent like Elisha? when we're told to turn back, when we're told it's not worth it or we shouldn't be following God in the way that we know we should? Are we persistent in our obedience? Are we restless and rash like Peter? Are we determined to stay in a mountaintop, to idolize perhaps a mountaintop experience? Or are we patient and watchful, willing to go where God leads us? Are we seeking not only to be transformed by Christ, But are we willing to have our view and our understanding of Christ transformed in an ongoing way? We're not, we haven't arrived. We don't have it all figured out, do we? 
So this story humbles me as I read it. The disciples who'd spent all this time with Jesus still had so much to learn. So how much more do we still have much to learn? May God be our teacher. May God reveal God's self to us. Let us pray. God, we are so thankful that you don't give up on us when we are stooge-like and when we are bumbling. God, we pray that today and in the coming days, you will grant us a clearer vision of who you are. Every day can't be a mountaintop, and we understand that, even though we perhaps want that. We thank you that you are with us in the valleys. I know that some in this room probably at least a few feel that they are in a valley today. So God, I thank you that you are with us on the mountains. I thank you that you are with us in the valleys. I thank you that your kingdom persists alongside, within, and sometimes in spite of us. God, may all glory be yours. Amen. Hello. Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.